We read the sacred scriptures together in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17. Proverbs, chapter 17. The text that we consider is verse 9, and we consider this text together on this occasion of preparatory with a view to celebrating the Lord's Supper next week, God willing. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than an house full of sacrifices with strife. A wise servant shall have rule over a son that causeth shame and shall have part of the inheritance among the brethren. The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips a prince. A gift is as precious as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it, whithersoever it turneth, it prospereth. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than an hundred stripes into a fool. An evil man seeketh only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. Whoso rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even both they are abomination to the Lord. Wherefore is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he hath no heart to it? A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man void of understanding striketh hands and becometh surety in the presence of his friend. He loveth transgression that loveth strife, and he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. He that hath a froward heart findeth no good, and he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. A wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her that bear him. Also to punish the just is not good, nor to strike princes for equity. 
He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Call your attention to verse 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. He that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think we would all agree that it is not always an easy thing to know how to respond properly to the sins of other people. And partly the reason why it is hard to know sometimes how we ought to respond is the many different kinds of sins that are committed. How should I respond, for example, to someone who, to use the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 or 4, engages in the kind of foolish jesting that is not appropriate for a Christian versus how I might respond to someone who just blatantly takes the name of God in vain? After all, there are what we sometimes call socially acceptable sins or so-called respectable sins. And then there are also gross sins, blatant sins. Does it make a difference how we respond to the one versus the other? How should I respond to a man who sins against his wife versus when my own husband sins against me. After all, there are sins which other people commit against other people, and there are sins which people commit against me personally. Does it make a difference how I respond to those different kinds of sins? How should I respond when I witness a sin with my own eyes or with my own ears? Versus when I hear about a sin second-hand or even third-hand from someone else, does it make a difference how I respond to that sin that I become aware of? All of these differences and many other differences in the kinds of sins that are committed, in the ways that they are committed, and in the ways that I find out about them make it difficult for us sometimes to know how am I supposed to respond to that sin? Should I confront the sin? Should I report the sin? Should I cover the sin? Should I ignore the sin? Our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us in the New Testament that if my brother sins, particularly if he sins against me personally, then I have to go to the brother alone, and face to face, tell him his fault between me and him alone. 
But if he does not hear me, if he does not repent, then I have to go to him again with two or three witnesses and tell him his fault again. And if he still will not listen, then I am to tell it to the church. So the Lord teaches us that there is one way of responding to sin, that we are to confront, that we are to eventually report. For example, we read in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, the Lord Jesus says, Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. He doesn't say ignore it. He says rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. But now we turn to the text, and we notice that in our text, God teaches us, he that covereth a transgression is the one who seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. And we must learn the wisdom of God in this text, that whatever response might be required of us in all of the different situations and different kinds of sins that are committed, we must always seek love and endeavor to cover that transgression and not to repeat it far and wide. So I call your attention to this text on this occasion of preparatory, and let's examine the meaning of this text together, and let's examine ourselves in respect to this text and how we respond to the sins that others commit. Covering a transgression. Notice first the meaning, secondly the motive, thirdly the result. In our text, the Holy Spirit is, as he often does in the book of Proverbs, presenting a contrast. And here the contrast is between two opposite ways of responding to sin. On the one hand, there is covering a transgression. On the other hand, there is repeating a matter. And we are to understand that these two things, these two actions, are contrary to each other. And that one of them is commendable, while the other is reprehensible. One of them is what God wills, and the other is what God does not will in the way we respond to sin. But what does the Holy Spirit mean? First of all, let us be very clear that the Holy Spirit here is not telling us to cover our own sin. The Holy Spirit is not telling us that the way of wisdom for us is that we cover up our own personal sins, that we try to hide them, that we try to conceal them so that no one will know what we have done. After all, the very same Holy Spirit writes through Solomon in Proverbs 28, verse 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. After the fall into sin, Adam and Eve, our first parents, tried to cover their own personal sin. You recall that they tied fig leaves around themselves to cover up their nakedness. 
And then they ran from the presence of God into the midst of the garden to try to hide from God behind the trees. They were trying to cover their sin, to hide their sin from God. But God sought them in the garden. He called after them because God would confront them and expose their sin and bring them to repentance. After he took another man's wife into his palace and into his bedroom and lay with her so that she conceived and became pregnant, David tried to cover his sin by murdering that woman's husband, sending him to the front lines of the battle in the hope that by killing off her husband, he could take the man's wife to himself, marry her, and no one would know the secret adultery that he did with her that made her pregnant. He covered his sin. He hid his sin. He tried to make sure that nobody would know about it, even God. But God sent Nathan the prophet to confront him. And God exposed his sin on the pages of Scripture for all subsequent generations to read about and to know about. And through Nathan the prophet, God said to David, You have sinned a terrible thing that is displeasing to God. God brought David to utter humiliation and repentance so that David would write in Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid, not anymore. I acknowledge it, I confess it, I repent. And when David says there that he no longer hides his iniquity, that word hide is the same Hebrew word as appears in our text. David is saying there, I no longer cover my sin, I confess it. I'm sorry. We must be clear that God forbids us to cover our own sins. God calls us rather to confess our sins, to acknowledge them, not to deny their existence, not to pretend that we didn't do it, not to excuse them or minimize them, but to own them, to repent, and to acknowledge them to God and also to those against whom we sin. To say to the person, I sinned against you, and I'm sorry for what I did to you, not to cover it up. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But in our text, the Holy Spirit is talking about something else. He is talking here about the covering of the transgression of someone else. Not the covering of my own transgression, but the covering of someone else's transgression. The text presupposes the common experience in life of finding out about the sin that someone committed. The text is not talking so much about those times in life when we hear about the evils of society. Perhaps we're watching the nightly news and we hear about evils, crimes, terrible things going on in the world, wars, gangs, violence. The text is not talking about the sins of people who are far away from us, people with whom we have no personal relationship, but it's talking about when we find out about the sins of people that we know, people who are in our own circle, 
people who are in our own community, our own church, our own family, our own friend group, our own social group, our own relatives, our own co-workers. Sometimes we find out about the sins that others commit. Sometimes other people also know about that sin. Other people heard that same story of what so-and-so did. But sometimes we're the only one who knows. We witnessed it with our own eyes. We heard it with our own ears. We know about it. Whether it was that they blasphemed the name of God in the workplace or cursed their wife behind her back or behind his back cursed her husband or whether it was a blatant desecration of the Sabbath day or whether it was a raising of discord and schism and disharmony in the church or the committing of some kind of murder, some kind of abuse or wounding of our neighbor or some kind of fornication, some sexual immorality, whether it is a case of drunkenness on the weekend or whether it is a lie that someone was caught in, some kind of deception. The text presupposes that we have heard about or witnessed the sin of someone close to us. And how are we to respond to that? The text, the Holy Spirit teaches us in our text, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Covering a transgression, the transgression of someone else, means that we conceal it inside our deepest heart. We hide it inside our mind and inside our soul. We cover it deep within us so that, although we know about it, we don't let others know about it. We seal our lips. We shut our mouths. We don't spread the news of that sin to others. We read about that in the very last verse of the chapter. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Repeating a matter is just the opposite. Repeating a matter is that once I have learned about this sin, by witnessing it or by hearing about it, I then tell someone else and someone else and someone else. I share the news. I spread the news. I send it on its merry way down the gossip chain, whether that's in social conversation or on social media or on the phone. That's repeating a matter. And the Holy Spirit teaches us that we ought to cover a transgression and we ought not to repeat a matter. Now again, we have to be very clear. The Holy Spirit is not teaching here that we must cover up every single sin that we find out about and pretend that I didn't see that, I didn't hear that, and act as if it just didn't happen and cover it up and never share it or tell a word of it to anyone. And the reason we know that is because we have to always interpret Scripture with Scripture. And when we look at the rest of Scripture, we find out in the first place, as we saw in the introduction, our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us that if my brother sins against me, I must first go to him 
in private and tell him his sin between me and him alone. But if my brother does not repent, if he doesn't listen to me, then I am called to repeat the matter to two or three witnesses. And I am called to take those two or three witnesses to my brother and again call him to repent for his sin. And if that brother does repent of his sin, then I am to cover it. Me and the two or three witnesses, three or four of us, it is to remain within that circle, and it is not to be repeated any further outside of that circle. But if my brother still will not listen or repent of his sin, then I'm called to repeat it again. I'm called to tell the church, to tell the consistory, so that now myself, the two or three witnesses, and the consistory are all aware of this sin, or at least the accusation of that sin. Now the consistory is to continue working with the person, to call him to repent. And if the brother is brought to a humble repentance, then they are to cover that sin and to allow it to go no further. The witnesses know, the consistory knows, but it is not to be repeated any further. That in the first place. You see that the goal is to bring a brother to repentance or a sister. The second place, there are also certain shameful sins that are done in secret that must be made manifest by the light. Particularly, as we have seen in recent times, treason and abuse. Treason against the church or the state in which People plot together secretly in the darkness to cause rebellion, revolution, and disruption in the church or the state is a sin that lurks in the darkness. And it's a sin that ought to be exposed to the light. So also is abuse. All the different kinds of abuse are often perpetrated in the darkness, in secret, where others do not see it and do not know about it. And those sins that love to sneak around in the darkness to cause destruction need to be exposed by the light. That's what the Apostle Paul, in part, means when he says in Ephesians 5, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. There are some shameful sins that must be exposed by the light. They must be reported to the authorities in the church and state. If it is a crime that is being committed... It needs to be reported to the police. If it is not a crime and yet a shameful and dreadful sin in the church, it needs to be reported to the consistory. But the Holy Spirit in our text is not contrasting the covering of a transgression with 
the necessary reporting of a sin to those in authority, but the Holy Spirit is contrasting the covering of a sin with the unnecessary and sinful repeating of a matter in the way of gossip, tale, being a talebearer and a rumor monger. That's what the Holy Spirit is contrasting in the text. There are certain sins that must be reported, but there is a huge category of sins that are not to be reported, that are not to be repeated, but are to be covered. In Proverbs 11, verse 13, we read, A talebearer, a gossip, revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth a matter. He conceals it. He hides it. He covers it. He knows about it, but he doesn't tell others about it. He keeps it to himself. He keeps it confidential. He's a wise person. He's a humble person. He knows that as soon as he starts to repeat this matter to someone else, no doubt he's going to get some of the facts wrong. He's going to tell it not in the full truth. He's going to twist it, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And by the time it reaches the third or the fourth or the fifth person, the truth is totally messed up. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. We need to have the attitude of Shem and Japheth. You remember the story of Noah and his three sons? Noah who built the ark to the saving of his house from the great flood, and after the flood, Noah became a husbandman, and he grew grapes and made wine, and in his sin, he became drunken and naked in his tent. And he lay there in his drunken stupor in the tent. Shameful, shameful sin. And his son Ham went and told his brothers. Shem and Japheth, they walked backward into the tent with a blanket, and they covered their father's nakedness. They weren't eager to go around telling people about it. They were eager to cover it. Is that what we do? When we hear about a sin, is our first inclination to tell others about it or to cover it, to keep it to ourselves? Are we the last link in the gossip chain or are we just one of the links so that the tales of sin go right through us down the line to others? He that covereth a sin seeketh love. He that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. What is the motive then? Why would someone be motivated to cover a sin and not to repeat it? The motive that is given by the Holy Spirit in the text is love. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. And that implies that a person who reveals or repeats a transgression to others is lacking love. Love for that neighbor who has sinned. This expression in the text may seem a little strange to us. He that 
covereth a transgression, seeketh love. What does that mean? He seeketh love. The idea is not that a person is motivated to cover a sin because he is seeking the love of that person for himself, because he wants that person to love him. That's not the idea. Think, for example, of a young woman who is infatuated with a young man, and they're dating, but that young man has a problem with drinking, and on a regular basis, he's getting drunk on the weekends, and she knows it's not good. It bothers her. It troubles her, but she wants him to love her, and therefore, in seeking of his love, she covers his transgression. She doesn't confront him. She excuses it. She minimizes it. She tries to pretend like it's not happening. Or she lives in the hope that it will get better. That's not the idea of the text. That young woman, if she truly loves her boyfriend, she will confront him. She won't minimize that sin or excuse it. She will go to him and tell him, I love you, but you're walking in a wrong way. Please, Recognize this is not good how you're living. And if he will not listen to her, then she ought not to continue with that relationship anyway. Because that's not the kind of love she needs. Or in the second place, it's not like a husband who wants his wife to love him. He's desperate for his wife to show affection for him. And so he covers up her sin. Maybe his wife has the weakness of repeating matters of sin that she hears. Maybe she has fallen into the snare and the trap of being a rumor monger, and she's constantly on the phone telling everybody the sins that she's heard about last week. But the husband is seeking her love. He wants her to love him, and so he covers it. He acts as if it's not so bad. He doesn't confront his wife in love and humility. That's not the idea of the text. It's not that I cover your sin because I want you to like me. It's I cover your sin because I love you. Not that I'm seeking you to love me, but that I'm seeking to show love to you. What is love? Love is the attitude of the heart by which I esteem my neighbor as a person whose life has worth, as a person whose life is precious, because my neighbor is a human being, part of the human race that God created in his own image and likeness. And if that neighbor is a brother or sister in Christ, then I esteem them as a person whose life has worth because they are a child of God. Because I know that God loves that person. And therefore, I ought to love them as well. And love is then the attitude of the heart by which I wish no evil upon my neighbor even though my neighbor may have sinned against me, even though I may have heard about a dreadful sin he or she committed against someone else, yet 
I wish no evil upon them. I don't desire their downfall. I don't desire their destruction. I desire their good. I desire to do good to them. I desire to promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. I desire to do to my neighbor what I would want him to do to me, the golden rule. And in that love, we cover their transgression. You see, love not only motivates us to go to the brother when he has sinned against us and privately to tell him his sin between me and him alone. Love motivates me to do that. And love motivates me to continue that process of discipline by bringing two or three witnesses and privately going to him again and then telling the church so that the elders would beseech him to humble himself. Love is what ought to drive us to do that. Because if a man is walking in sin, he's walking on the path to destruction. And the greatest love means I desire his salvation. His salvation. And as I see him walking the path to destruction, I want to beseech the brother, please see your sin and turn from it. But love not only motivates me to confront the sin, to report the sin when that is necessary, but also to cover the sin. Love not only desires the welfare of my neighbor in the life to come, but love also desires the welfare of my neighbor here in this life. If you love your neighbor, then you also want to promote his honor and good character. You don't desire to soil his reputation. You don't desire to drag his name through the mud. You don't desire to lower his reputation in the eyes of others. The Catechism teaches very plainly that to love our neighbor means as much as we are able, we seek to uphold and defend and promote the honor of our neighbor. And that's why we cover his transgression, you see. We don't have a desire for everybody to know about this. Because we know that will hurt our neighbor. And we don't want to do that. That's love. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, the Holy Spirit teaches. If you do that, that reveals that there is love in your heart for that neighbor. Now, what motivates us to have such love for the neighbor? There's only one thing that can motivate us to love our neighbor and cover his sin. And that's the knowledge of the love of God for us. That's the knowledge that God first sought to love us before we ever sought to love our neighbor. God sought love toward you, beloved, when he sent his only begotten son into this world. He sought love. When he gave us his precious son to the death of the cross, 
to shed his precious blood on that cross to cover our transgressions. Jesus Christ covered your transgressions and mine by the shedding of his blood, by hanging on that cross uncovered and exposed before the fiery wrath and judgment of God that we deserve for our sins, and by receiving the thunderbolts of God's wrath that we deserve for our sins on the cross. Jesus covered our sins. It was not easy for him to cover our sins. It took the giving up of his precious life, the suffering of eternal death and the wrath of God for all eternity. There, uncovered and naked and exposed to the holy God on the cross, Jesus covered our sins. By the shedding of his blood, he covered our sins from the view of God for all eternity so that he never sees our sins again. All of our gossip, all of our rumor-mongering, all of our evil tales of the sins of others, he's blotted it out. He's covered it over with his atoning sacrifice. And therefore, because of Christ's death on the cross, God doesn't repeat the matter of our sins. When you commit a sin, God doesn't repeat that. God doesn't go hither, thither, and yon throughout the universe telling everybody about the sins that we did. God doesn't tell everybody how wretched we are, how wicked we are, how worthy we are of judgment. He doesn't repeat it. He doesn't repeat it to us either. God isn't constantly coming to us saying, you are so wicked, you're a wretched sinner, and you deserve to be condemned. God tells us of his love and his forgiveness. God comes to us in the gospel of salvation, and he tells us again and again and again, I love you, and I loved you so much that I sent my son to cover your sins. And I cover them. I cast them into the depths of the sea. I forget them and remember them no more. They're hidden from my view. I don't see them. It's as if they never happened. I don't pretend that they never happened. No. I took your sins and I laid them on my son. And I've punished your sins in my son. And because of him, I remember them no more. God sought love toward us in Christ. And because of Christ, he covers our sins for all eternity and will never look at them again and will never hold them against us. That's what David came to understand after his dreadful sin of adultery and murder and covering up of his sin, when he wrote Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Covered. Covered from the sight of heaven. That's what motivates us to love our neighbor. When you know that, and when I know that, in our hearts, 
And when we grasp it, and when we remember it, and when we don't forget it in the moment-by-moment experiences of life, when we live by faith, then we're motivated to live in thankfulness to God for his love and his forgiveness. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to repeat their sins. That becomes disgusting to us. More and more, as God sanctifies us and makes us thankful, we desire to cover the sins of others. Because we know I'm a sinner just like he is. I'm no better than that. But when the brother is stubbornly walking in sin, then in a humble love for the brother, we we long to go to him and call him to repentance. But not to spread the rumors and tales of what he's done. Rather, 1 Peter 4, verse 8, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. The result of covering a transgression is that we maintain a most beautiful harmony in our friendships and relationships. You see, the opposite is that when we repeat matters of sin, we separate very friends. Literally, the text says, he that repeateth a matter separateth a close friend. When we repeat the sins of others, we create separation between friends, between my friend and myself, and between other friends, and even within friend groups, and within the whole church, we create separation. We cause division between friends when we tell people about the moral failings of others, when we spread around the gossip and the rumors of the sins that people are committing. Isn't it true? We go around telling our fellow church members about the sins of another church member, about the hurtful and shameful things they've been doing, that we separate friends. We light fire to the bridge that connects us so that that bridge starts to burn. We start to build up walls of hostility between and amongst ourselves when we're repeating the sins of others. Why? Because when you do that, you're planting in the midst of the family, in the midst of the church, in the midst of the workplace, in the school, whatever the setting might be, you're planting seeds of bitterness and anger and judgment and contempt. You're causing other people to think evil of those people who are sinning and to be lifted up in pride and thinking that we're better than that person because we don't do that. We plant seeds of all kinds of evil. Not the things that nurture relationships, but the things 
that break them down. That's what happens when we spread the news of sin. Isn't it true that if we were constantly going around telling everybody of the secret sins of our spouse, that we probably won't have a very strong marriage? The bond of friendship between us as a husband and wife is going to crumble and fall apart if we're telling everybody about the sins of our wife or the sins of our husband. And that applies just as well in any friendship, in any relationship, in any family. In Proverbs 10, verse 12, we read, Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. Strife, that's the result when we spread the news of other people's sins. But the blessed result of covering transgressions, again, not covering up every single sin, not refusing to confront, not refusing to report when necessary, but when we cover the sins instead of spreading them all around, the blessed fruit is that we keep our friendships strong and healthy. There's a peace and unity of mind amongst us. The lines of communication remain open. We feel safe with each other. We trust each other. We're willing to open up to each other, to tell each other things so that our relationships get better, not worse. That's what happens when we are careful about how we respond to the sins of others. So there's material for us to consider in our self-examination. We've all fallen short in this, every one of us. We all have something to consider and examine today. And as we look forward to the Lord's Supper next week, as the form tells us, we should not allow the knowledge of our sin to deject the contrite hearts of the faithful. We know that we're sinners. Do you know that you're a sinner? Do we know that we're guilty of this? Do we know the curse that is due to us for it? But do we also know that we have faith in Christ, that we believe in Christ, We do. And we find in Christ all that we need for the covering of our sins before the sight of God. And do we also have a resolution of heart not to be content just to continue the way we are, but to fight against that depraved urge within us to spread the sins of others? Is that your resolve? Then rest assured that God has made you a worthy partaker of the table of his Son, Jesus Christ, even though we are unworthy in ourselves. He has made us worthy partakers through the blood of Jesus Christ. And let us come to the supper, not to testify thereby that we are righteous in ourselves. I'm going to come to this table because I don't have any sin. No, but on the contrary, to testify by coming to this table, 
that I am a wretched sinner and that my only hope is in the broken body and shed blood symbolized and sealed in this sacrament. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to thee for the gospel to us poor sinners. Thy word, O God, convicts us and humbles us. How dreadfully far we have fallen short. Constantly our lips are moving, sharing stories of the weaknesses and failures of others. When our own weaknesses and failures stare us in the face, Father, give us a repentant heart and grant unto us a thankful heart that we may resolve to tame the tongue, to be careful when we talk about the sins of others, to cover transgressions, and to deal with them as we would desire to be dealt with. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's turn now to the back of the Psalter to read the portion of the form for the administration of the Lord's Supper, page 91 in the back of the Psalter, the portion that deals with self-examination. The form tells us that in order to celebrate the Supper of the Lord to our comfort, it is above all things necessary first rightly to examine ourselves. Let's consider that portion of the form. The true examination of ourselves consists of these three parts. First, that everyone consider by himself his sins and the curse due to him for them, to the end that he may abhor and humble himself before God, considering that the wrath of God against sin is so great that rather than it should go unpunished, he hath punished the same in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, with the bitter and shameful death of the cross. Secondly, that everyone examine his own heart, whether he doth believe this faithful promise of God, that all his sins are forgiven him, only for the sake of the passion and death of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed and freely given him as his own, yea, so perfectly as if he had satisfied in his own person for all his sins, and fulfilled all righteousness. Thirdly, let everyone examine his own conscience, whether he purposeth henceforth to show true thankfulness to God in his whole life, and to walk uprightly before him, as also whether he hath laid aside unfeignedly or unhypocritically all envy, hatred, and envy, all enmity, hatred, and envy, and doth firmly resolve henceforward to walk in true love and peace with his neighbor. All those then who are thus disposed, God will, not, God will certainly receive in mercy and count them worthy partakers of the table of his Son, Jesus Christ. On the contrary, those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment to themselves. Therefore, we also, according to the command of Christ and the Apostle Paul, admonish all those who are defiled with the following sins to keep themselves from the table of the Lord 
and declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ, such as all idolaters, all those who invoke deceased saints, angels, or other creatures, all those who worship images, all enchanters, diviners, charmers, and those who confide in such enchantments, all despisers of God and of his word and of the holy sacraments, all blasphemers, all those who are given to raise discord, sects, and mutiny in church or state, all perjured persons, all those who are disobedient to their parents and superiors, all murderers, contentious persons, and those who live in hatred and envy against their neighbors, all adulterers, whoremongers, drunkards, thieves, usurers, robbers, gamesters, covetous, and all who lead offensive lives. All these, while they continue in such sins, and notice that very important phrase, while they continue in such sins, that is, without repentance, shall abstain from this meat, which Christ hath ordained only for the faithful, lest their judgment and condemnation be made the heavier. But this is not designed, dearly beloved brethren and sisters in the Lord, to deject the contrite hearts of the faithful, that is, to discourage us, as if none might come to the supper of the Lord but those who are without sin, for we do not come to this supper to testify thereby that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. But on the contrary, considering that we seek our life out of ourselves in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we lie in the midst of death, Therefore, notwithstanding, we feel many infirmities and miseries in ourselves, as namely that we have not perfect faith, and that we do not give ourselves to serve God with that zeal as we are bound, but have daily to strive with the weakness of our faith and the evil lusts of our flesh. Yet, since we are by the grace of the Holy Spirit, sorry for these weaknesses, there is the repentance and earnestly desirous to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God. Therefore, we rest assured that no sin or infirmity which still remaineth against our will in us can hinder us from being received of God in mercy and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly meat and drink. We read that far. Let's conclude our worship service today by singing Psalter number 89. And afterward, we will sing doxology number 8 in the back of the Psalter. And for our visitors, you can find the doxology page in the back of the Psalter after the Psalms. You'll notice on page 391, doxologies and spiritual songs. On the next page, we will sing doxology number 8. But first, we sing Psalter number 89, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. 1, 2, and 3. Thank you. 
bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.